Well, hi again, guys. Lena Abujamra here. I'm your host on the Living with Power Hope podcast. It is Christmas week, a crazy busy week for everybody. But let's take time out and think about the things that matter the most this week. And so with that in mind, we're dropping a new podcast for you today. This is our last of three Advent messages. Those are talks that I gave on our Thursday night Facebook community group where I teach live. Hey, have I ever invited you to that group? If not, consider this your formal invitation. Go to livingwithpower.org and click on join our community on the top right blue box. And we would love to have you. In the new year, I'll be teaching a new series in Nehemiah on calling. And so if you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do in this world, join us. Uh, But today we're wrapping up our series, which means you're going to get a third message on the story of Christmas. And I love the story that I'm talking about today. It is the story of the shepherds going to see little baby Jesus, King Jesus, uh, known to us today. And so if you're ready for this, our series is called Come Alive. And today we're going to come alive in our joy. So take the next half an hour and let's focus our minds and our hearts on that which matters the most this Christmas season. Hey, remember, we are in a three-week Advent study. This is the last of the three-week series. It's called Come Alive. Uh, First, we talked about In Your Expectation. Then we talked about In Your Peace. And today, Come Alive In Your Joy. And I have joked, but not really, about the fact that my next book is probably going to be on joy because I struggle with joy. I am much more of a cup half empty. I can always predict when bad things are going to happen. I hedge my life against bad, you know, like just just the way I function. Like if I know what bad things are going to happen, I can protect against them. And so it is hard for me to experience joy. And so I'm going to lean into that in the coming year. I really believe as I even think about the next project, I want to lean into joy. And I understand that joy can grow out of gratitude. But, but, but I want to today talk about God coming alive in the Christmas story, specifically in our joy. And we see that in the aspect of the story focusing on the shepherds and you're going to see that in a minute of course one of the most famous christmas songs joy to the world the lord has come who doesn't love that song sam loves that song uh, and I hope you heard him sing it last week. If you're on the podcast, I don't know if you got to hear that, but you need to join us on Thursday nights because that's where all the fun happens. But let me read Luke chapter two. And I've got four points tonight talking about coming alive in our joy. Uh, that's what we're looking for this Christmas. And so we're in Luke chapter two, verse eight. I'm going to read through verse 21. And, in this, and by the way, we're picking up the reading where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about Mary having the baby. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and put him in a manger. And now in the same region, verse 8, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And we see joy in every aspect of these verses. We see it in the declaration of 
the angels, we see it in the response of the shepherds, we see it in the hearts of the people who heard about what was happening. But what was really happening, I want to take four uh, here perspectives on joy. And let me kind of go back to that scene. So I don't know how many of you have worked night shift. If you've worked night shift, click the like button or the hate button. I hated night shift. I did night shift for the first eight years of my career. I hated every shift. You can ask Diana. She was my neighbor at the time in the city of Chicago. I took my first job as an attending physician at Children's Memorial Hospital, and I dreaded the night shift. There's this point where it's so dark, you would leave the house, you would, I, I would get out in Chicago, sometimes in the middle of a snowstorm. At 10 o'clock at night, I would get up and shower, and by 11 o'clock, my shift would start, and I would be there till 7 in the morning. Uh, running the ER, it was a lot of pressure. The hospital was not well staffed at night, so more responsibility on me, and it freaked me out. And I am not a night person, I am a morning person, and so I worried about staying awake, I worried about how sick people would come in. Uh, it was miserable. I worried about it two days before the event, and then I left the ER after a night shift feeling like, like the world was ending. I would go home and crawl up in bed and sleep, so I am not a fan of night shift. Well, you catch these shepherds in the middle of a night shift. It is like the darkest of nights. It is cold. It is, you know, the, people talk about the, the fact that Christmas actually wasn't in December, but regardless of the date, uh, the night is typically colder, and so you kind of can imagine that this is like, you know, midnight or or one or two in the morning and and there's nothing happening in that darkness of night and these shepherds are in this job that they've probably done for year after year after year we don't know how long they've been at it but there is a monotony a routine a drudgery to what is happening in that night and the least thing that these shepherds were expecting on that night was that their whole life would change and yet that is exactly where joy meets the shepherds on the Christmas story and so the first point here in the teaching is this joy explodes explodes into our lives when we least expect it. Joy explodes into our lives when we least expect it. You see, when do we least expect it? When, well, we expect it the least in the darkest of night. We don't expect joy when it's dark and night. And the night is symbolic of sadness. The night is symbolic of worry. The night is symbolic of nothing happening. The, the night is symbolic of so much darkness. And right now, I think about, I mentioned even before we started about this time in our culture, and it just feels like we are living in a dark night. Maybe you're living in a dark night. Maybe you're going through what people call a dark night of the soul. So much conversation right now in the Christian world is on deconstruction. I wrote a book on it, but regardless of whether I wrote a book on the deconstruction of my faith and how God built it up, there is a sense in 2021 that there's a darkness enveloping, enveloping our world like never before. And maybe some of it is because of COVID. Maybe some of it is because of the hatred that is surging in the lives and the social aspect and dynamic that we're seeing. Maybe it's in the corruption of leadership, but however it is, Joy explodes into our lives at Christmas when we least expect it. On that night, in the middle of the night, those shepherds did not expect the angels to show up with good news of great joy. And yet that is when God showed up in the lives of the shepherds with great joy. So joy showed up in the darkest of nights. Joy showed up without invitation. And by the way, I appreciate that Joy is listening to the message every time I say her name. I, I, I think her husband's probably going, yep, 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 amen. You better be amening your wife, Joy. But, but, but And by the way, her, she reflects her namesake and maybe my mom should have named me Joy, but, but I'm not that naturally. So I understand the tension, but Joy shows up in the story when we least expect it without invitation. The shepherds were not even 
they didn't even know they needed joy. It wasn't even like on their agenda for the night. They weren't going like, man, we're miserable. It's dark, we're tired, we're not making enough money. Everybody thinks we're dirty. The shepherd's job was to gather the sheep because they were constantly in touch with animals. They were considered dirty. They were the ones who were responsible to find the unblemished lamb that would then make it to the Passover sacrifice, which on estimate, they needed about 730 lambs. In one estimate that I read about how many were needed every year, maybe more than that, however many lambs were needed, that was the job of the shepherds. And so they were living on the outskirts of town because people in town didn't want to be touching the shepherds. It didn't make the shepherds less than per se. It wasn't that they had a horrible job. It was just a dirty job. And so there was no invitation in their mind. I find sometimes that there's a yearning in my heart for joy, but I'm not even sure how to ask for it. It's like, I'm not even sure how it will look like. And the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to invite God. God is the one who makes the invitation. God is the one who sees our needs and step into, steps into our need. He's the one who sees the darkness of the night, the drudgery of our life. In fact, joy shows up in the routine of life. And one of the curses of life sometimes is the routine. Ho, hum, boring, nothing changing. God, I wish something would happen in my life that would break the monotony. Many of us feel it. We don't even have words for it. You might not feel it when you're 20 or 30, but when you're hitting your 40s, that's why people call it a midlife crisis. Because you get so bored of the same old, same old. And there's a point in the early 40s where you kind of go like, is this it? What am I supposed to do the rest of my life? And, and, and there's a sense of, of the routineness and the monotony and the darkness of life. And, and joy shows up in that moment without invitation when we least expect it. And it shows up and wakes us out of slumber. You cannot mistake joy for something else. When the shepherds were watching over the field, even pictures, some of them maybe were struggling to stay awake. Maybe they were falling over their staff, you know. They're trying to stay awake to guard the sheep from the wolves and the other evils of, of the nature that was around them. Maybe they had to nudge each other. Maybe they had a fire going. I don't know what they did to stay awake. They didn't have coffee in that day. I don't think they did. They may have had an alternative, but, 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 but in that, the angel of the Lord appears to them and they wake up out of slumber. You don't get a sense when joy shows up that anyone was sound asleep. They woke up. And, and, and that's been my prayer to the Lord in this season. I pray for joy. I pray that God would wake us up out of slumber. In a sense, that's a sort of revival when we least expect it. But not only when we least expect it, but also joy explodes into our lives when we need it the most. When we need it the most. It's uncanny how God knows exactly when we need joy the most. See, we need joy when we have nothing to rejoice in. You know, some seasons in life bring great joy. You get married, you have a child, your kids graduate from college, but maybe you're like me, you're single. You don't have any kids to look forward to graduating from college or getting married. And I know I have nephews, I'm grateful for them, but, but, but there's a point in life, your kids may have grown, maybe now you're a widow and maybe you just, doesn't feel like, like there's joy. There's nothing to rejoice in. I know you can make a gratitude list, but, 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 but move past that for a minute. The beauty of Christmas is that joy, the joy of Christmas, this Christmas story, what happens here is that joy explodes into the lives of the shepherds, but not just the shepherds, but the people of Israel, and not just the people of Israel, but this moment in history when we desperately needed it and when we need it the most now. So it happened at the first Christmas, but even now, every year, Christmas comes, a reminder 
that joy shows up when we need it the most. And we need it when we have very little to rejoice in. And while your list of praise and gratitude today, I bought a journal online and I just was cracking up because it had like 25,000 reviews. And I went to the Amazon, look inside, and literally it has December 1, three lines, December 2, three lines, December, like literally three things to be grateful for every day. And I thought 25,000 people gave it a five-star review. And I thought it's because people recognize something, that there is something rich in gratitude. But even when you make your list of three or five or ten or even a thousand things, there's still a sense there's just joy that's lacking and, and and god shows up with the story of christmas on that dark night via the angels at a time when there was very little to rejoice in in that day remember that we talked about that in the first two teachings on advent that the political climate was horrible the people of israel were not free they were under roman oppression they were taxed up the wazoo they were not well to do they were just going through i mean the ones who were rich were the tax collectors who were abusing the people like it was a dark time and and there was very little to rejoice in 400 years of silence god had not spoken and so joy explodes into their lives into our world when we need it the most we need joy when we feel we deserve sadness do you, do you ever feel like that's your lot in life that you're sad and that's okay because you deserve it because of all the sin that you've done this is the way that Satan shames us with the lies we tell ourselves. Well, I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to have joy because then we make it. We're so quick. It's much easier for me to make a list of the things that I'm ashamed of than the things that I'm gratitude for. And we're all wired that way for some reason. We, we're easy to, to condemn ourselves. We're easy to listen to the lies of the evil one. I mean, if there's not a day that goes by where I don't utter things about myself that are not true and I feel like I deserve the sadness and and joy shows up in the Christmas story in a season when maybe even the shepherds, maybe they felt they deserved to be outcasts because they were dirty, because they did touch the animals. Maybe they felt like to a certain degree it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, like what other job could they do? See, joy shows up when our hope is lost. And joy shows up when God's voice seems silent. And joy shows up when we feel like outsiders. And for the shepherds in that time, they were treated like outsiders. And again, it was... It was their job, but they also, I'm sure, at some point embraced this identity. Well, we don't belong. We're outsiders. We're not clean enough. We're not good enough. Our job is to find the lamb, the unblemished lamb every year that would pay for the sacrifice of sin. So they had a function so they could find some sense of connection to the world by finding that lamb. It was their job to, to bring up those unblemished lambs. But, but, but there was a sense that their identity was in their shepherding job, which made them feel like outsiders. And... And in that scene, joy explodes when we need it the most. Maybe that's you. You think about your life right now. Maybe you feel like hope is lost. God's voice seems silent. You feel like an outsider. Again, put yourself in the story. There's so much application here. But also, we need joy when we're tired of the waiting. What are you waiting for? We talk about waiting so much in the Christian life because I think it's a common theme that happens in the Christian life and in life in general. We're all waiting for something. And for the people of Israel, they had waited for hundreds of years for the coming of the Messiah. Maybe they'd given up that the Messiah would come. In fact, many of them were not expecting him. And yet the shepherds woke up out of slumber at the news that the angels gave them, which was that there would be, he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be not just for them, but for all the people. And then he gives them the news for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And here's how they would recognize him. This will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes 
and lying in a manger. Now, now this is very symbolic. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but let me give you the third aspect of coming alive in our joy. Joy explodes when we least expect it. Joy explodes when we need it the most, and then joy explodes in our lives, and everything changes. Everything changes when joy explodes into our lives. And the Christmas story is that. It is the story of an angel crying, there's great news of great joy because a savior is born. And then he gives them the sign of this baby. And it is, it would not be lost on the shepherds. And three times in Luke two, we're told in verse seven, that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Later, the angel would predict to the, to the shepherds, hey, you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then when the shepherds go to the manger, they find the manger and they, uh, they find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. In verse 16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, and there's a, 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 a something here to be had. You see, you see, there's the shepherds, they didn't just raise, remember we talked about the job of the shepherds. The shepherds were considered dirty because they were in touch with animals and rodents and insects and things that made them dirty in the eyes of the people of Israel. And so, but, but their job was to raise the unblemished lambs that would serve as a sacrifice. All the way from Genesis chapter three, we saw the beginning of this symbolic shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins after Adam and Eve um, sinned. God would kill an animal and take the skin of the animal and dress them. And, and then later on with Abraham and, and when he went to put Isaac on the altar and then there was a little lamb in the thicket and he came out and, and he put the sacrifice of the lamb instead of Isaac. And you start seeing, of course, the Passover, the people of Israel have, they were, when, when, when God's wrath fell on the people of Israel and every firstborn was killed, but uh, on the people of Egypt, I'm sorry, and every firstborn was killed. And yet on the people of Israel, there was mercy because of the blood on the doorpost that was a symbol of, of the Passover that would be become yearly uh, celebrated in a yearly fashion at Passover, a symbol of what was to come in the birth eventually of Jesus, who would eventually die and, and shed his blood on the cross, a perfect sacrifice. Peter would talk about him in First Peter. He would say that, that he, his blood was the perfect uh, unblemished lamb. So the shedding of the blood of the perfect unblemished lamb and, and, and on all of the symbolism through scripture pointing to Jesus. I wanna pull up that verse if I can find it. The First Peter verse talks about it in um, uh, chapter one, verse 18, 19, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal of life inherited from your forefathers but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of christ so everything is going towards that but here's the shepherds who uh, would make it a habit of going into a field it micah chapter 4 verse 8 predicted back in the old testament on the location of where those lambs would be brought up and it was a an area that that david used to bring the shepherd david king david back in the old testament would take his sheep over to an area called migdal eder and this is the area outside bethlehem where the shepherds would bring up these unblemished lambs so that they would take them then to the priests and those lambs would serve as sacrifice for the atonement of sin for the people of Israel. And so now this is, this is the preparation into that. And so they're out in the fields, they're raising those lambs that would become the sacrifice. And, and what the shepherds used to do when they raised those lambs was when the, when the unblemished lambs were born, and so those would be the future sacrifices at uh, the Passover, they would take the lamb that was born and they would put the lamb in a manger and they would wrap them in swaddling clothes, the little lambs, so that they wouldn't move when they were babies, like you would swaddle a baby now. They would do that for the lambs. And so here in the story of 
Christmas when the angels declare that a baby is born and he will be found in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, it was not an ignorant concept for the shepherds who spent their lives raising unblemished lambs and wrapping them in swaddling clothes and putting them in a manger. And so it was not lost on them what was being predicted here. In fact, Micah chapter 4 verse 8 had spoken of that very area as a future location where Jesus would be born. And, and so the light bulb must have gone on in their mind that this baby wasn't just a baby, that this was the birth of a king who would die later on. He, this would be the coming Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes, sitting in a manger, symbol, a symbol of the perfect Lamb of God that Peter would talk about later, who would shed his blood in First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, with the precious blood would be shed as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. All this was happening in this joyous declaration of the birth of Jesus. And so when you think about why was Jesus put in a manger, why does Luke chapter 2 emphasize three different times about the swaddling clothes and the manger? Well, there's a reason, and it is pointing to the future sacrifice of Jesus. This wasn't just a baby born. This wasn't just Christmas and Santa Claus and gifts and fun. This was a message declaring the gospel of great news that the, that the angels declared that a, that a baby would be born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Not just a baby, but a savior who would later shed his life for, our, for the atonement for our sins so that we could live today. And so joy explodes into our lives, into the lives of the shepherds, and everything changes. You, do, you say, what changed? Well, everything changed. First of all, the offer of good news was an invitation for the shepherds to respond. The, the angel didn't make them go. He gave them the news, and then he left. And now the shepherds in verse 15, they said to one another, hmm, what are we going to do now? Ah, let's go back to sleep. This has been a rough, exciting night. That's really warm. You know, maybe they got hungry. Let's have a sandwich. Uh, you know, we really worked up an appetite here. Maybe someone was like, oh, they didn't do that. They had to make a decision. And when an invitation was given that they would go and see this thing that would create great joy for them, they said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Every invitation to joy demands a response. Maybe you've never heard of an invitation to joy. Maybe you're listening this, to this and you've lived through Christmas after Christmas and you've never made the connection of why Jesus had to be born in a manger and why he would be a symbol of the blood of the lamb, of the perfect lamb that would later be the final sacrifice for sin once and for all shed for us. Maybe you've never heard this, and today you're given this invitation to joy, and the joy is that you've got good news of great joy that a Savior is born, and you have been given an invitation. Now it's up to you. How will you respond? And so the shepherd said, let us go and see. The offer of good news invites us to respond, but also the offer of good news challenges our priorities. So what was the priorities of the shepherd? Well, they had a job. They had events to do that night. They had sheep to watch. They have an agenda, you know, they had a to-do list for the next day. And instead of heeding, so they had to make a choice. Do we go and see? Do we disrupt our schedule? Do we go and find out if the story is true? Or do we go on our life as usual? And it's the same today with the invitation to the gospel, isn't it? We're given a choice. Like, here's an invitation. It's going to radically change everything about your life. But listen, can you afford not to pursue that? And so... 
the priorities were challenged for, for this family and for these shepherds. And they said, man, forget about what we have on our to-do list. Forget about the things that we think are important. It, there is something more important and it will demand us to reshift our priorities. I think about the challenges in the Christian life, going to church. Even on Christmas Eve, we go to church and celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it seems so obvious and natural, but every year it's like a tension because we've got the meal time and the family time. And how do you fit it in? And some years you're like, do we really need to go? And, but listen to me, the joy of the gospel story must change our priorities inside and out. If your day and your life is not changed because of this great joy, then I wonder if you really understand the value of that joy. So the offer of good news is not just an invitation for us to respond. It's not just a challenge to our priorities, but it's also something that must be received by faith. The angel spoke a message and the, shepherd had, the shepherds had to decide by faith. Do we believe this? Will we follow? Maybe, maybe they thought, man, we just had a bad dinner last night. Maybe we hallucinated. Maybe there was something they were smoking. I don't know. They could have assumed that, but they didn't because they knew that they knew that what they had heard was true. And so by faith, they left their area where they were and they found their way to the manger where Mary and Joseph were. It was a decision that was received by faith. Many of you are waiting for the perfect moment, the perfect data, the perfect knowledge to say that I'll finally put my faith in Jesus if, and you're like, fill in the blank, whatever it is that you think you need to believe in Jesus. And I wonder if what's lacking for you today is faith. Do you believe it by faith? You've been given the signs. An angel has declared the good news. There's a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Will you believe it by faith? The choice is yours. Joy is yours for the taking if you'll receive it. Will it challenge your priorities? You better believe it. But here's the other part of the good news is that it is available to anyone who chooses to respond. It is available to anyone who will receive it. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This wasn't like for one people. This wasn't for men and not women. It wasn't for a certain race or a certain socio-demographic or the I mean, Christ came to heal the sick, those who recognize themselves to be sick. But you see, even in the ministry of Jesus, all sorts of people came to Jesus because the invitation to salvation was open for anyone. And we're told that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so will you stop assuming that the invitation to joy is an invitation for someone else? And so the last point is, you could say, what, what's the connection here with joy and the gospel story? Well, really, this is probably the most important connection, which is, so, so far, we're talking about coming alive in our joy. Joy explodes into our lives when we least expect it. Joy explodes into our lives when we need it the most. Joy explodes into our lives and everything changes. And lastly, joy explodes into our lives and his name is Jesus. It says, in verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her, her heart. And then later it says, they called him Jesus, the name given by the angels, even before he was conceived in the womb. See, joy is Jesus. It wasn't the angels that filled the hearts of the shepherds with joy. It was Jesus. It wasn't a reversal in their circumstances that filled their hearts with joy. It was Jesus. It wasn't great riches or 
or you know, some kind of lottery ticket that changed, filled their hearts with joy. It was Jesus. It wasn't even a massive breakthrough that filled their hearts with joy. It was little baby Jesus. It wasn't a dutiful response. You know, it wasn't like, well, I gotta do it. This is my duty. I better do it. It wasn't a dutiful response that filled their hearts with joy. It was the leap of faith based on a promise given. And isn't that what salvation is? It is a leap of, salvation is, is there's a fact. Christ is born, he died on a cross to atone for your sin. Now, a promise is given. God says, here's the promise. If you put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. And so, so joy is this leap of faith based on a promise given by a faithful God. Now he gives us all of these prophecies and, and aspects of the story that confirm it so that there's no reason for us to doubt, but still joy and salvation. And Jesus is not born out of duty, but out of an understanding of, that ultimately is executed by faith, but it is based on this promise giver. But not just the giving of the promise. See, it wasn't just the giving of the promise that filled their hearts with joy, but it was the fulfillment of it. And I think so much of our Christian life, you know, we're waiting for the promise. We've all have promises in our life and we write them down and, 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 and I think sometimes we live a halfway Christian life. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, um, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life, is the second part of the verse. And I think this is so important because most of us live our Christian lives in the first half of the verse. We're comfortable with hope deferred makes the heart sick. But how many of us are willing by faith to embrace the second part of the verse? which is but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, the good news of the salvation story wasn't just that in the entire Old Testament, there was a prediction of the coming of Jesus. I mean, for thousands of years, it was spoken of, and then 400 years of silence, and then all of a sudden there was a fulfillment of the promise. Listen, do you know that that song, and even wrapping up now, thinking about joy today, the song Joy to the World, I was kind of exploring a little bit of how I could end this, this talk today. And I was thinking about joy through the world. And I thought, yeah, there's something about that hymn that talks about joy. And, and do you know that when you actually look at this song, Joy to the World, it was actually written by Isaac Watts, who was a very famous songwriter back in the day and written, wrote many hymns that were very famous back in the 80s when I grew up in church. But, but this song, if you read through all of the words and the verses, was really not about the first coming of Christ, but about the second second coming of Christ. And yet it has become a very common Christmas song. And if you read the verse, you can sort of go, oh yeah, that talks about Jesus now, but really it's talking about his second coming and the promise of that. And I think a lot of us in the Christian faith sort of have come to believe and to receive the Christmas story, but we sort of disespouse it from the other side of the promise, which is the fact that Jesus is coming again someday. Do you know that you can't think of the Christmas story without thinking about the second return of Christ? And so you think about joy exploding into our hearts today. What is it that you're basing your joy on? Is it on, is, is your hope that God would fill your heart with joy in a reversal of circumstances? Is it that God would change your life direction? Is it that God would break through in some miraculous way and then you'd know that indeed he's right? Or is the joy in your life based on the person of Christ? And as you think of this promise of Christ, are you living with the understanding and the belief and the shift in priorities that, that believes without a doubt that the same Jesus that was born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes is someday coming back so that every time you and I stand up between now and Christmas to sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. 
Let us within our hearts declare that promise, not just for the first Christmas, but for the fact that our Savior is coming again someday. And in that second coming, he will indeed reign over all the earth forevermore, giving us peace and joy and expectations. And so as we finish this three-week series on Advent, the entire purpose of Advent is to look forward to Christmas, but not just to Christmas, but to the story of the gospel, the story of a Savior who was born in a manger in order to die on the cross so that someday he would come back and reign eternally over this whole world that is now living in a time of great darkness and confusion. And if you understand that, then there's a deep welling joy in your life that grows out of the understanding of a truth that will awaken you and I out of slumber. That, my friend, is my prayer for you. Well, that was it. And if you're not filled with joy now, I don't know what will shake you up. And so I am praying that God will flood your heart with joy no matter the circumstances you're going through. Hey, again, I'd love to meet you in person someday. But until then, join us on Thursday nights on the Facebook Live community groups. I'm also teaching at the Living with Power retreat, which we're hosting at our own Hope Ranch. You can check out the details on thehoperanch.org. If you haven't signed up for this podcast yet, go ahead and subscribe. We're starting a Dear Lena series in January, and I can't wait to drop those episodes. You are going to love them. Hey, have a Merry Christmas. If I haven't said it to you yet, I'm saying it now. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and I'll see you again in 2022.